Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Bloomberg Intelligence Talking Transports podcast. I'm your host, Lee Klaskow, Senior Freight, Transportation, and Logistics Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, Bloomberg's in-house research arm. We're delighted to have Fritz Holdgraf, President and CEO of SIA. Fritz joined SIA in 2014 as VP and Chief Financial Officer. Since then, he held other senior leadership roles, including COO. He assumed the role of President and CEO in 2020. He earned a Master's of Business Administration from Washington University in St. Louis. In addition, he earned a Bachelor's of Arts in Economics from the University of uh, Notre Dame. So I guess that's uh, Go Fighting Irish? Absolutely. Go Irish. Well, uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast, Fritz. Uh, It's great to have you here. Great to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. So, um, you know, people might not uh, recognize uh, Saya. It's not a household name. Uh, it is for me, even though sometimes I mispronounce it, uh, given my Jersey accent. But uh, if you see them on the road, they're trucks. Can you talk a little bit about uh, Saya's business? Sure. Saya is a uh, 100-year-old company uh, founded in Homa, Louisiana. Uh, we're in the less-than-truckload space. So we're uh, operating a network of terminals across the country, uh, moving freight from all varieties of customers, from consumer packaged goods companies to uh, industrial manufacturers. We carry freight to uh, thousands of customers every month. Uh, our freight typically weighs 1,300 pounds, and we usually drive eight, 900 miles to make that uh, delivery for the customer. So it's a uh, business that reflects the U.S. economy uh, and covering all sectors of that economy. Right, and I'd add Sai is a publicly traded company as a market cap around $14 billion and trades at the ticker SAIA. Um, and so it's been a real interesting time in the uh, lesson truckload, or we're going to say it now the LTL market, uh, because of a bankruptcy of Yellow, which was one of the largest uh, LTL carriers in North America back in, uh, in last summer. Um, Saya bought uh, a bunch of terminals. Could you talk about you know what you bought, why you bought it, and how it's going to benefit you? Absolutely. So Saya has been on a um kind of organic growth uh, strategy for several years, starting in 2017. We had operated in 34 states up until that point, and we determined as we invested in the business and looked for growth opportunities, we were looking for opportunities to expand to become a national carrier. So we started in 2017 with our Northeast expansion, adding four terminals in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Now, as we developed that strategy over time, it became increasingly clear to us that we could provide a lot of value to our customers, growing organically, adding terminals, incremental service, and coverage to our customers. 
when the yellow uh, bankruptcy happened, um, there were naturally they're going through the process of uh, uh, liquidating the real estate, and that was part of our growth strategy around uh, organically growing. So we saw an opportunity to participate in that process. Uh, we ended up acquiring 17 uh, terminals. Also, we acquired uh, 11 leased terminals as well. So we'll be operating 28 additional terminals over the next couple of years that have come out of that uh, liquidation process. And geographically, are they in, in a specific area or are they just all over the United States? A big chunk of them are in the center of the country covering the Great Plains. It was an area that we had not filled in on our map. Um, but there are also some strategic terminals and markets that we already serve but we're just moving closer to the customer with these acquisitions. So it's a really exciting opportunity for us to provide enhanced service to our customer set. And will this bring you into all the states? Yes, we'll be in all 48 states, as lower 48. Right. And so do you need to rely on third parties to make pickup and deliveries anymore? Or uh, you're still going to have uh, you still have more to fill out in, in, in all the states that you're maybe newer in? You know, we'll, uh, in some spots, we'll uh, continue to use partners, but the, the exciting part about this expansion is this allows us to really take that freight from pickup to delivery on a, in a SIA network and a SIA equipment. The customers get a better experience from that, um, and we're excited about that opportunity to grow with our customers as we enhance our cur- coverage in our service uh, territory. There may be some markets where we continue to partner with lower uh, – with other carriers, but uh, th- this is a really interesting opportunity for us to move closer to the customer. Yeah, I would imagine for for the industry, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity mm-hmm. for a lot of companies. Uh, so, Yellow's not done um, liquidating its uh, its its real estate footprint. Uh, I'm assuming you guys are going to take a, a hard look at all the other facilities that might come up for a bid. You know, we uh, have a, a pipeline of facilities that we consider, uh, not only in this situation, but there are other terminals that uh, we have purchased from other of our some of our larger competitors or, frankly, other uh, businesses that have exited the market. So this is an opportunity to just continue to enhance our real estate development pipeline. There could be some facilities there, but there could be facilities in other areas. I would expect that over time we shall see the these as the industry absorbs this capacity, you'll see uh, terminals trade as somebody maybe trades into a larger facility, exits a smaller one. Right. They may be there may be opportunities for us as part of that as well. Right. And this yellow event really consolidated uh, or an already consolidated market before the yellow. Uh, um, bankruptcy, the top 10 LTL carriers had about two-thirds of the market, mm-hmm. roughly. Um, so so that's getting even more consolidated. So obviously, so you're, you're getting the facilities, but you're also getting some of the volume, too, mm-hmm. right? Can you talk about the volume that you've picked up uh, since the yellow bankruptcy and, and what that's meaning to your, you know, the numbers that you put out, whether it's tonnage or shipments? Yeah. I mean, if you look at our um, our sort of performance over the last couple of quarters, um, you clearly see the the impact of our growth is as we've taken on share that was with yellow and frankly in other areas in the market as well. Uh, we're excited about that opportunity and it's important upon for us at this stage we're spending a lot of time making sure that we're providing the great level of service the customers expect. Um, it may be improved service compared to what they were getting before but then it's also important for us to make sure we understand the impact of that freight in our network because um, we're making a lot of investments in the network to support this growth. Um, so it's going to be important that we get that uh, that new revenue, those new shipments priced the right way um, and in a position that we can continue to invest in our business and support that growth for our customers. 
And it, was there a big difference between the new tonnage that you're bringing on from yellow compared to your legacy business? Like, is it, um, are they uh, lighter per shipment uh, weights? Are they um, less, um, are they, they less on pallets? You know, is there any yeah, big differences? It's, it's been interesting because I think uh, yellow had maybe more of an exposure to retail right. than maybe we did. So what we've seen is we've grown our share of, of wallet, if you will, some of the customers that, uh, retail customers that had did the business with yellow and us. So we picked up uh, additional retail accounts there. Uh, it shows up in our weight per shipment, um, as, which is down a little bit year over year, about four and a half, five percent. So, you know, it's something we'll manage, continue to manage. It's it's a good opportunity for us, though. Yeah, and, and LTL <laughs> tends to be you know more weighted towards the manufacturing and industrial um, uh, economy. Roughly, what is the split of uh, of size, freight, and customer mix? You know, we would we typically say two thirds, one third, two thirds industrial, one third uh, uh, retail. Uh, that you know, it we don't really spend a lot of time on that because if you think about some of our customers, maybe you have a home goods retailer that uh, is shipping say lawnmowers mm-hmm. um, that comes out of a manufacturing plant you know that maybe that's a industrial freight but it's ending up in a retail space so it's more important for us to understand what that freight is make sure we provide the service that's needed make sure we charge for it mm-hmm. and and how, how do you how do you measure service when you're, when you're looking inward well we measure it in a lot of different ways but the fundamental me- measurement in the industry often is claims. So we would have claims would be the the amount of damage, and right. we have an industry one of the industry leading claims ratios. But if you really study a customer, customers care about a few different things: pick the freight up when you say you're going to pick it up, be right. available, deliver it when you say you're going to deliver it, and don't break it in the middle. So mm-hmm. we measure it at every step of the way in the process. All right, great. So, you know, when you when you look at freight companies, everyone looks to you guys to say, how's the economy? So, mm-hmm. you know, the freight cycle has been relatively weak. Um, the impact of yellow has kind of really mitigated that weakness. You know, it's early uh, 2024. What are your customers telling you and what's your crystal ball telling you about the freight economy? You know, I think it's a great uh, observation you make is that a lot of what we're seeing right now is the exit of yellow and, and kind of the disruption in the industry. Um, you know, the underlying dynamics in the business, sort of the macro situation, remains kind of tepid in terms of, and I think it's pretty consistent to what we uh, have seen uh, prior to that. Um, maybe a little bit more growth now. Our customers are a little bit more optimistic now. Um we're really optimistic about what we bring to the market. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go back to the first half of last year, prior to the disruption, uh, size performance relative to the industry was was stronger. I mean, we were leading in uh, you know kind of performance versus uh, the rest of the industry. We saw share gains there. We think that underlying growth story that we have going on is going to help us drive growth through the balance of this year. So if we get to a place where Maybe things are a little bit more optimistic in the second half, which could be. I mean, I think mm-hmm. if you follow the interest rates, you, you you have to think that at some point it's going to be a bit of a stimulation in the economy in the second half of the year, potentially. We stand to benefit. But in the interim, we've got a lot of opportunity as it is. So uh, we're managing this around focusing on the things that we can control so that if there is a uptick in the economy in the second half of the year or into 25, we're well positioned for it. 
Right, and and and, and Sia has been uh, considered within the freight transportation logistics market a kind of a growth story. You know, we're looking five year out; it stocks up uh, around seven hundred and twenty percent versus the BI LTL index, which is up three hundred and forty percent, and the S and P five hundred, which is up eighty five percent. So, so you guys are definitely outperforming not only the broader market but uh, but your peers because of that growth story. Um, so, could you talk about? the growth for 2024 what are your expectations um can you give any insights into you know where you see growth in, in 2024 from sias perspective you know you're going to see growth because we're going to open 15 to 20 facilities uh this year um, that's going to be an important part of what our messaging is uh to our company around focusing on the customer but i think the the under underlying growth in the business is pretty compelling as well in the last two years, we've opened up 20 facilities, which, quite frankly, at this stage, are we think there's still a lot of opportunity in those facilities. Um, so if you couple that with what we're opening, you know, I think there's a growth through growth for us through 2024. Um, I think we have potential to be, a, you know, kind of leading in uh, sort of growth story in, in our space, in the LTL space, as we continue to sort of optimize those facilities that we open. Maybe that uh, you know, we'll be able to drive oper- uh, operating income improvement at the same time. So we're excited about this opportunity for us. Um, you know, the macro situation, if it slows down, that'll have an impact on us. But I think that there is an underlying momentum in our business that, um, you know, should carry us pretty well in 2024. Are you hiring a lot for these new facilities or it's kind of like there's a lag there because obviously all the facilities are going to open up day one. You guys are going to have to invest money uh, in some mm-hmm. of these facilities. So uh, how's the labor market from a, a freight transportation standpoint? You know, we've uh, we've got a great story to pitch to employees, new mm-hmm. employees, um, talk about the success of the company. So when we go and recruit in all these new markets, which is what we'll have to do, uh, we talk a lot about what the SIA culture is, um, customer first, taking care of each other. Those are things that are really part of the fiber of the business. Um, so we've got a compelling opportunity for folks that want to have a career in transportation. So when we open up in these new markets and every one of the terminals that we're opening, we'll have to do some recruiting, either in the facilities that are in a green space for us, or they're maybe in a market where we're already serving, but we're moving into a a nearby facility. We may have employees that transfer to the new facility, but we'll still be recruiting because we expect growth out of both, both the, you know, the original and the, and the newer facility. So I think for us across the board, we're, we're recruiting. Uh, we've been able to, because of the story that we have and what we've been able to provide in employees around a great place to work, it's been a compelling and we've been able, uh, argument for us, and that we've been able to grow with that. So it's it, it's been a good good space for us. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm assuming it's a it's a good time to be hiring uh, truck drivers right now, given how difficult the truckload market is. Yeah, and you know, and you can, it's a classic LTL position, right? So you can talk about, hey, listen, this is a great place to have work life balance. You can right. be home every day. Um, you have the opportunity to get a very competitive uh, compensation structure, great benefits. Mm-hmm in a growing business. Those are all positives. Right. And so if I remember this correctly, when I was a, a, a college kid, I worked for an LTL carrier, um, worked the graveyard shift. Uh, it's a now defunct carrier. It was a Teamster organization. Mm-hmm. It's no longer around called APA. Um, the, the line haul usually was the better paying job, mm-hmm. but the the pickup and delivery is probably the better quality of life, if you will, because you're home every night. I, is, is that still true? Very similar. Um, you know, we try to organize our line haul network so all those that team drives at night. You know, they're home 
every you know every morning or evening, however the okay. schedule works. So you know, there's a good chunk of our guys that uh, that are on that kind of a schedule. Now there mm-hmm. are others that are what we call system drivers that you know continue on for maybe are gone for a week, but they're right. or a few days anyway. So it's it's important for us, you know, as we develop maturity in our network, what we can do is create those opportunities for a line haul driver to be home uh, every day. Okay. And let's talk a little bit about pricing. So pricing has been pretty uh, fantastic. Um, you know, if I remember correctly, in your earnings call, you said uh, contract rates uh, were up to eight point seven percent. XPO just came out with a number this morning at nine percent. Um, you know, people might be taking a step back and being like, "Wow, that's that's extremely good pricing." Why is why is pricing so? good right now and especially why is it good for for saya how are you able to increase uh the rates that you're uh, charging your customers in this environment well I, you know it, it all starts with the service you're providing the customer so if you are not providing high levels of service you know i discussed earlier i talked about picking up freight delivering what we ex- the customer expects no mm-hmm. damage easy to do business with you accomplish those things you have the opportunity to charge for that in the environment that we're in right now, um, you know, I think that by and large the best companies are focused on service uh, or providing that sort of incremental coverage to a customer. Um, that allows you to charge for the service. Now, what's fundamental underneath this business? It's highly inflationary. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, you know, you've got to invest in technology, you got to invest in equipment, you got to recruit and retain people that are you know the best in the business to be able to differentiate. All those things are inflationary, so you have to keep the pricing there in order to, to generate the appropriate return for that kind of a business. But fundamentally, you can do all those things in the inflationary business, but if you're not providing great service, you're not going to get the price. Um, so in this environment, I think there's a bit more focus there, but I think there's also the realization that fundamentally, uh, this is a business that requires a lot of investment, and in order for that to happen, people have to get the appropriate return. Yeah, and, and and also we mentioned earlier, it's a pretty consolidated market, and all the players are very disciplined and rational mm-hmm. when it comes to pricing, uh, because they all have their ROI benchmarks that they have to you know overcome to make that that reinvestment. So, uh, very different than the truckload market uh, currently. Um, so your OR, if I got this right, it was eighty four percent last year. Uh, is there anything structural preventing you guys from getting uh, to a, a sub eighty into the seventies? Because some of your competitors, um, you know, have uh, lower ORs uh, operating ratios. A- absolutely, there's the, 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 we recognize and t- see the, their performance, and we say that we've got to get there. Sia needs to be there. Our service is on a par with those uh, other competitors that are you know high performing companies. We don't see a way or see a reason why we would have a limitation to, to drive the OR in this business into the 70s. I mean, some of our best operating regions of the country right now already operate in the 70s. Okay. And so for us, you know, as we continue to develop the uh, maturity of our network, uh, you know, we'll drive the whole company performance to that kind of level. Mm-hmm. Uh, it needs to be because your customers are getting that level of service from us, and it just that's the appropriate return for this kind of a business. Is there any, like, low-hanging fruit that, you know, you – you know you're doing in 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 that region where you are in the 70s, where you're you're maybe doing it in the high 80s. Is there is there low hanging fruit that you guys can see? Whether it's purchase transportation, I, I don't know. You know the big the biggest thing in the markets that we have the longest uh, history. So you take the sort of Texas region, Gulf states, 
those are the areas that we have the best density. Those are the areas where we have the best brand recognition. Um, we've got the team that has been in place the longest. Uh, you've got the consistency that comes with that, and you've got a very, very high level of service. Those are our best performing uh, network or business parts of our business. They lead in all the service metrics, not surprisingly. So as we continue to repeat that model in other regions of the country, that will drive the pricing to where it needs to be, uh, and that will get us to the uh, finding that freight and that mix of business that we can generate those kinds of returns. So it's I would tell you that I think it's really more about sort of network maturity mm-hmm. over time uh, as we build densities in markets that we haven't been in as, as long as we'd like to have been. You know, we're developing that now. Uh, but we see a lot of runway for this business. Customers are really excited to do business with SIA, uh, and we see it in our sort of continuous tracking of their feedback on how we're doing. So as we can replicate that in more markets as we add all these terminals, I think the opportunity for us to perform at that level company-wide, uh, it's definitely right there for us. Okay. And, and while you're mostly an LTL carrier, mm-hmm. you do have other businesses uh, brokerage, mm-hmm. uh, expedited. Can you talk about the other businesses, how they're doing, what percentage they make up of your total revenue, and uh, maybe your, your your total EBIT? Yeah, so the, in total, those group of businesses are a little bit sort of 3 to 5% of our total. Okay. Uh, and what's really important about those businesses for us, it's all about our customer focus. Mm-hmm. So these are opportunities for us to s- provide an incremental service to our customers, be it you know logistics or truckload brokerage or some of our specialty ser- services around expedited or whatever the customer might need. Part of that is just developing that relationship with the customer so that they understand that if they have a supply chain issue or they have an, an opportunity that they need uh, resolved, we're there to help them and facilitate their success. So we view that as not so much of a segment, so to speak, it is more of a complement to what we're already offering the customer. So. Um, it, we view it that way. So that'll be, as we continue to mature as a company, that'll become a bigger part. But fundamentally, we're an LTL business, and we're providing additional solutions for customers. Right. And, and does and I'm, I'm assuming the LTL business feeds the other businesses, and the other be- businesses feeds the LTL business? Absolutely. It's kind of like it's, a flywheel? It's, it's hand in hand. And it works best when a, when a customer, when they realize that, hey, this LTL business works really well with the logistics problem, they need help solving. Uh, we can combine those services, and that, that's a win for the customer, and, and that works for us, too. Have you guys ever really used M&A in terms of growth, whether it's into a, a segment or the LTL network? So if you go back in the history of SIA uh, and you really look at what we did in the sort of 2000s, we cobbled together our the first parts of our national network through acquisitions. Okay. Uh, the financial crisis happened, and uh, that kind of put all that on uh, put the brakes on it, so to speak. Um, and we had to kind of survive that process because we acquired all those businesses right as the economy slowed down into the crisis. So the company kind of spent the period of you know, 2008, 9, and 10 surviving. And 11, 12, 13 was a period of stabilizing, starting to return the investment in the business, bringing down the fleet age. Um, we considered M&A through the sort of mid-2010s. We acquired some of our um, uh, logistics and brokerage businesses at that point in time. Um, but then we figured out in 16 and 17 that our opportunity to grow was really about developing an organic pipeline. 
in an organic structure that we follow, the strategy we followed, we can control what we're providing the, the customer in terms of making sure that we provide that consistent service. Most importantly, also replicating the culture that's SIA, you mm-hmm. know, that sort of focus on the customer. When you organically grow, you hire, you train, you position the team to be successful and provide that, uh, uh, replicate that service for the customer rather than trying to integrate an acquisition that perhaps, you know, maybe creates a disruption for the customer. You don't want to do that. So when we've done that in our sort of organic strategy, uh, we've found that we've, we've gotten pretty good at that. So yeah. w- when this yellow opportunity came together, this was really exciting for us because this kind of accelerates our sort of growth uh, trajectory. And, um, you, you know, you mentioned earlier the reinvesting in the business. You, you mentioned technology. Can you talk a little bit about technology and, and, and how it relates to society? Do you guys use off-the-shelf program? Or are you guys are you guys building your own proprietary uh, technology? And what does that technology do for you uh, that you're that you're using or building? You know, I tell people um, that are outside of the industry. They say, "Tell me, tell me about trucking." And I'll tell them, "Well, there's there's a lot of technology in, in in this business. There's a lot of data optimization, and you could argue that this is actually a big data play as much as it is a asset play." Right. Um, you know, if you think about, you know, SIA will deal with in a given month maybe forty thousand different ship to locations. We're going to handle thirty five ish thousand bills a day. Uh, we're going to run that through a network of 194 terminals, soon to be, you know, we're going to add another 15 to 20 to that mix. Uh, you're going to say we're going to travel 900 miles and carry shipments that weigh 1,400 pounds. I mean, there's a lot of data, and how do you optimize all that? So we have invested quite a bit of technology around data optimization tools um, that allow us to better schedule our pickup and delivery networks, that allow us to better schedule our line haul networks. Mm-hmm. At the same time, taking all that data, scheduling data, you're also taking the time to collect the data around what's going on at the freight you're picking up. What are the dimensions of the freight? Where is it going? What what are the delivery locations? And from that, you're modeling not only the operations in terms of what type of equipment you have to use, but you're also focused on pricing. And how do I make sure that I... I charge for all the services we're providing. Does the does the delivery go to a uh, limited access location that requires a lift gate? Well, those are all special services, and those require specialized assets that all deserve uh, a, spe- a return for those assets. So that takes you that operating data turns into pricing data, and then as you put all that together, that's all about driving profitability. So it's a it is a massive data optimization prob- problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it is artificial inte- intelligence on a daily basis dealing with all that, and uh, so I think it's uh, it's a differenti- differentiating thing for us. And, and roughly, what, what's your capex spend um, in in this? Did, did you give out a guidance? Yeah. For so year? for the for 2024, we're going to approach a billion dollars in spend. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an interesting year for us. We just spent over 250 million dollars to acquire facilities. Right. Uh, we're going to have to upgrade those facilities to get them ready to operate like SIA facilities. With the big step up in volume that we had last year, we're going to have to make the biggest investment in our fleet that we've ever ha- had around everything from power to trailers, most significantly trailers. Um, to all about providing service and flexibility for our customers. And then we'll continue to invest in IT and, and all the data analytic tools that we use every day. Is it hard to get equipment? Because, you know, a couple of years ago during the pandemic, it was impossible. Um, it seems like it's gotten better. Is it 
are you getting what you want or are you still waiting? So far, we're getting what we want. Um, and it's, uh, you know, we're focused on making sure that that trailer pool is one that is all about folk availability of the customer. Mm. Customers care about that. And can you talk about a life of uh, the life of a, a truck within SIA's uh, network? Because it, it starts in one business and then kind of... Absolutely. So, you know, the first couple of years of the uh, tractor's life, we're going to run it in our line haul network. Mm-hmm. And the idea with that is that's the peak performance of the vehicle. It's, uh, you know, the best fuel economy, latest safety technologies on board, highest level of reliability for that equipment. Um, and then as it, it ages, it moves out of the line hall sort of role, and it moves into sort of line hall city role until ultimately it graduates to our city operation. And in the city operation, the, you know, the equipment's not on the road as long. It, it, the reli- uh, you can manage the reliability um, a little bit easier in that environment. Uh, fuel economy, you're unfortunately operating the city, so you're not going to get high levels of fuel economy anyway there, but you're going to get decent fuel economy. So you kind of manage the tractor's life in that way. So, um, you know, our fleet tractor age right now is right around four. We like that. Uh, but when we're done with a piece of equipment, it's it's fully <laughs> utilized. Yeah, that's good. Um, are, are you guys testing at all uh, EVs? We are. We, um, you know, we, we don't know that we're an early adopter per se, but we would say we're a really fast follower. We're Uh, have tested uh, a fair amount of both EV and now more recently some hydrogen equipment. Okay. Um, You know, I think that the, um, you know, there's some, there's some promise there. um, But I think that, you know, the, the economic viability of that equipment yet is still to to be uh, determined. And I think at the same time, you know, we have to understand really fully what the performance uh, characteristics are of it. How it will operate in extreme environments is it is a really critical uh, focus. Right. And, and I'm assuming EVs maybe work for pickup and delivery, but not so much on the line haul? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, so, you know, obviously you're, you're reinvesting a lot uh, in, into the network. What other capital priorities do you have? Do you do buybacks, dividends? Right now we have, a, I think, a pretty compelling uh, growth pipeline, both in real estate and sort of Technology and fleet that uh, that our uh, investors would say are it's an optimal return for them is to focus on those sort of capital deployment. But it, listen, we also understand very clearly that we are stewards of the shareholders' capital. Mm-hmm. There'll come a day where we're going to have to figure out ways to balance that. Um, today, um, there's some really interesting opportunities for SIA. So our our deployment of capital today is very focused on growth. All right, so some. Uh just switching gears a little bit. So, you know, you've been with SIA for a while. You came on as a CFO. Were you in transportation before that, or was SIA your first uh, foray in, into transports? This is the first time I've been in a transportation-focused business. Yeah. But every business I've ever been in, uh, a great part of, of the value provided to the customer has been about that supply chain partner and the transportation networks that we utilized. So I'm probably somebody that understands and appreciates the use of a good transportation partner, maybe more than than others. Right. And and what do you do uh, for fun when you're when you're not running an LTL company? Well, I try to play golf, um, but that just tells me I need to go back to work. Um, <laughs> What's I, your handicap? Yeah, too high. It's okay. about eight. Today it's about fifteen, I think. That's uh, not very good. <laughs> I'm a twenty, uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but uh, you know, I'll enjoy time with family. Um, you know, it's uh, kids in college or graduating college. That's a lot of fun too. Okay, so if you have a light at the end of the tunnel when it I comes do. to kids. That's that's good. I'm I'm, I'm early on in that uh, uh, life cycle. So um, you know, do, have you read any books about transportation that you know you kind of like? You know, wow, it was really eye-opening, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, um, you know, over the years. You know, I, I don't know that I have a specific book about transportation uh, that I would um, point out as one that said, hey, this is what you got to read. But what I would say this is that if you read any uh, book about either, in, and I'm into sort of historical economics, industrial development, and if you look at it over time, um, and you look at all the great industries that have been developed in the United States, or around the world for that matter, mm-hmm. there has always been a significant element of the su- supply chain that has facilitated that growth or that enablement. Um, so I, I have always gravitated to those books, and I think if you if you spend time in that space studying those markets and those economies, you quickly uh, see the importance of transportation and the value potentially uh, provides to it part of the market. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I love covering it. I love covering it for so long. It's just, uh, it makes me uh, pretty knowledgeable about every other vertical that my colleagues cover. Um, so, and it's 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 a great kind of um, uh, vantage point to see where the economy is heading. Mm-hmm. So, it's the uh, transports are great. Well, Fritz, I really want to thank you for your time today. Uh, I thought the conversation was fantastic. So, thank you. Lee, thanks for the time, and I enjoyed the opportunity to tell you about what's going on at SIA. All right, great. Well, thanks for tuning in, and if you liked the episode, please subscribe and leave a review. We've lined up a number of great guests for the podcast. Check back to hear conversations with C-suite executives, shippers, regulators, and decision makers within the freight markets. Also, if you have an idea for a future episode, please hit me up on the terminal or on Twitter at Logistics Lee. Thanks, everyone, and be safe out there. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.